I don't know if it's just me, but worship has been really good lately. I think the Lord's doing something. I always like it when the worship's good because it just makes the preaching that much better. I don't, I don't know how that's connected, but it's just easier to preach when you feel the Holy Spirit moving. <clears throat> I mean, this, this could probably be the greatest message you've ever heard in your life this morning. We have kind of a special thing happening today. Uh, <clears throat> during worship, Amy and I were just singing this morning, and then I could hear my children standing behind me singing louder than I was singing, and I thought, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for that. But um, we're going we're gonna to do one better than that this morning. My daughter, Natalie, is going to come up in a little bit, and she's going to tag team preach with me. So, uh, you know, we, we really do believe in women preachers. We want women preachers on the stage preaching the gospel with, with all the men. Amen? So, I don't really want to get into an argument about that. I just, I just think it's great when women preach because, you know, I mean, my mom preached to me my entire childhood, you know, like... <laughs> That's why I know the Lord today. Well, we're in our Genesis series this morning. And so far this summer, we have covered creation. We've covered the flood. We've covered Abraham, which was the last time I spoke. And we had a guest speaker last week, Mr. Randall Worley. And that was fantastic. Listening to Randall's like, it's like taking a drink out of a fire hose, right? It's like, I warned you guys last week that you're really going to have to participate to keep up. And that was that proved to be true. So um, I'm not quite as smart as Randall. I always feel like I'm the smartest guy in the room, except when Randall's in the room with me. So, you know, I never am the smartest guy in the room. I just think that I am. So, so today we're talking about the patriarch Isaac. And uh, I'm sure you've heard that name before. He lands, he lands in between Abraham and Jacob. And, uh, before we, before we head into Isaac, I, I kind of want to start with a, a, a statement. <clears throat> I, I want to begin with this. this. This is a book. This is a book called the Bible. And this is a really important book. Some people call it the Word of God. The book of John says that Jesus is the Word of God. This is scripture that represents the testimony of God. And without the testimony, the witness of the scripture, we would have no idea who Jesus was or what he meant. So we want to take this thing with the utmost respect and honor. And we want to, we want to hold it in its rightful position. And, um, you know, Randall, Randall talked a little bit about it last week, and he said that the Bible's not the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God, which is, is kind of true, but this is the testimony of God. And we know about Jesus because of this book. Amen? In fact, you could say this. Christians are the people of the book. The story that we're going over in, in the book of Genesis is actually formational to who you are. Without knowing that story, you don't know who you are. Without knowing that story, you don't know where you came from, where you began, and you don't know where you're going without it. So it's a big mistake for us to treat the scripture lightly. In fact, we need to make it a lifestyle for us to take it inside of us. Amen? And I know we have different seasons of, of, of what that looks like. And, um, and, and sometimes our, our reading and our devotion to this book can wane a little bit. But we should always be heading backwards to it. We should always be progressing to the scripture. Because, I mean... This seems obvious to say to a bunch of people who follow Jesus, but we should be doing what this book says. Amen? All right. So today we're going to talk about um, 
the patriarch Isaac, but just I want to recount a little bit of Abraham's story, which I told last time. I would say this, if I were, if I were to talk about Abraham, I would say that Abraham lived a dramatic life with God, okay? He was what you would might call a heathen, living among a heathen people in a heathen land, minding his own business, and God interrupted his life and revealed himself as God to Abraham and said to Abraham, go to this faraway land that I'm going to give you because I'm going to give you this land and out of you I'm going to make a great nation that's not only going to be a blessing to you and to your family, but eventually to all the nations of the world. And we heard, we heard the story of how it took Abraham a long time to see the fruition of that promise that God made to him when he was 75 years old. So there were all these different events that Abraham walked through with God. And I would say most of them were very dramatic. If you haven't gone backwards and read that story yet, you need to do it. And I want to fast forward into the future. There's Abraham, there's Isaac, and then there's Jacob. Jacob was also a man who was, um, his story is also very dramatic. There's a lot of fireworks that happen in Jacob's life, both good and bad. I mean, he is all over the road. His story is very interesting. His story has a lot of fantastic supernatural things that are, that are occurring. It's really easy to get um, kind of excited about the life of, of Jacob. Um, but there's this guy right in the middle of these two fantastic dudes named Isaac, and I happen to draw the short straw to preach on this guy. And uh, there's not a whole lot of scripture actual, actually given to Isaac, and it's, it's really interesting. When I was studying his life and when I was reading about him, I was trying to figure out what, what angle I was going to take in, in telling this story. So, I mean, it was problematic. But before we jump any more into Isaac, I do want to kind of repeat something I said in, when we were going through uh, the life of Abraham. We were talking about what a life of faith looked like. And I want to start with this. Um, I forgot I said this in my message, but Blake texted me that week. And he's like, what was that thing that you said? It was so good. And I, I had forgotten to write it down. So I had to go back and listen to it. So, but I wrote it down for this week. A life of faith is walking a long distance with a big question, with no immediate answer on the horizon, but trusting God in every moment that he is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. Amen. Amen. So Isaac, who we're going to talk about today, he represented for Abraham and Sarah the fulfillment of the word of God to Abraham. Isaac is the promised son. He's, he's the person who shows up on the scene in this story as the answer to the longing of Abraham in Sarah's heart. Okay? You might say that Isaac was a favored son. I, I, I would say this. Isaac was probably a great relief to his parents. Imagine believing God for something for 25 years and then finally getting that promise fulfilled. It would be a big deal, right? In fact, Abraham and Sarah named Isaac Isaac because he brought with him so much laughter. Isaac literally means laughter. Sarah said this. She made this statement. She said, when people hear about me, this old woman who gave birth to Abraham's son, they're just going to laugh. And now some people could have been laughing because it was just silly that an old woman would be having a baby. That's probably part of it. But I imagine that their community was rejoicing. They were so happy. They were laughing with joy because they saw the promise fulfilled in their friends' lives. So Isaac grew up knowing that he was the promised son. 
Imagine what that could do for a guy. Like you would have a lot of self-confidence, amen? You would have a lot going for you because you know that you are a major part of the story of God. So I, I picture Isaac just running around the campfire and his dad sitting by the campfire and he's looking at this promised son running around the campfire. He's like, there's my boy. My body was as good as dead, but God brought him out of me like he said he would. He's the embodiment of God's word coming to pass in my life. The satisfaction that must have been a part of Abraham's life at that point was huge. So Isaac wasn't disconnected from that story. He could feel his father's pride. He could feel his father's joy. His mother doted on him, probably just made sure he never fell down, just making sure that the promised son of God didn't injure himself. He felt that story. He knew that story very well. But here's the thing about faith. You don't get to live on your father's faith. You don't get to live on your father's favor. You don't get to not have trouble in your life because your dad was a man of faith who believed God. The deal is this. God has hardwired you and me for faith. And the only way faith can exist is if you find yourself in a spot where faith is needed. In fact, I would say this. Faith cannot exist in a place where it's hard for faith to exist. Think about that for a second. The only place that faith is needed is a place where faith is hard to have. If you're walking through an orchard and there's fruit everywhere hanging on the trees, you don't have to have faith to pick fruit, do you? You just walk up to the tree and you pick it. But if you walk through a wilderness where there's no water and there's no trees and you need to eat, you have to have faith for something at that point. Faith is only necessary where faith is hard to have. Am I making sense or is that too much? So Isaac knew the story of Abraham's walk with God, but knowing someone else's story is really just you getting ready to have your own. So us even reading these stories about Abraham and Isaac, this isn't so we can know Bible stories. This is God's invitation to take place in this story together. You can't exist on someone else's faith. You get to have your own. So here's Isaac. He's the son of promise. He eventually became the son who was about to be sacrificed. We talked about that last time. Kind of a big, kind of, I mean, pretty dramatic moment, but I kind of find it humorous. You know, like you're, you're Isaac, you're running around and you're, you're the rich man's son. You got everything you want. You know, you're the son, you're the promise come true. And the next thing you know, they're putting you on an altar. <laughs> I feel like that was the beginning of Isaac's big letdown in his life. Like after that, it was like this, this wave of reality hit him. Like, oh, I'm not as special as I thought. <laughs> So he's the son of promise. He becomes the, the son that was almost sacrificed. And then, then the Bible doesn't say much about him. I mean, but, but 40 or 30 years later, um, there's this great love story that's, that's told in Genesis chapter 24 and 25. And I'm not going to read it to you today because it's really long. But this week, you need to go read it. But it's this love story about how Abraham sends his servant back to where they had originally come from to get a wife for Isaac. And so the servant goes to the land that they had sojourned from 
and miraculously comes across this woman named Rebecca. And he, he brings Rebecca back. And I love this part of the story. It says that Isaac was walking out into the evening field to meditate. I, like, I just like that. The guy's 40 years old. He doesn't really have a lot going on in his life. So he just goes out into the field to think about God. But this one night, he goes out into the field and he sees his wife coming on a herd of camels. And he meets Rebecca and the Bible says that he made her his wife. And that was the beginning of a really interesting journey for Isaac. Um, he didn't get married till he was 40 years old. He knew the promises that God had given his father Abraham that God would make him um, a nation, a great nation. And, he, and, and Isaac was aware that that was going to come through his lineage. It was going to come through him and his relationship with his wife. But here's the really interesting thing. Just like Isaac's mom, Sarah, was barren, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, was barren. It's almost like God purposefully sets up the most impossible situation for himself over and over and over so that he can prove to us over and over and over that he really only likes to make something out of nothing. But what takes place in the scriptures takes place in two verses, and it says this. They married when Isaac was 40 years old. Rebekah was barren. Isaac pleaded with the Lord. The Lord heard his prayer, and then he allowed Rebekah to conceive. Two verses is covered, but here's the real deal of how this happened. It took 20 years for that prayer to be answered. Rebecca didn't conceive uh, Jacob and Esau until Isaac was 60 years old. You could miss that in the scripture because it only covers two verses. And you could read it and say, well, that's really nice. He was obviously a man of faith. God heard his prayer. God answered his prayer. And they eventually had a very nice middle-class suburban family together. But the deal is this. 20 years is 20 years. Imagine believing for something for 20 years. 20 years is really easy to read in a sentence, but it's really hard to live out every day and night when you want a baby, but you can't have a baby. When you know that the promise of God is, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, but there's no answer on the horizon. And that's really the life of faith, isn't it? It's not, ah. Oh, God got, gave me this promise, I'm going to believe God for a week or six months or even a year. But it's a whole nother thing when the Lord asks you to walk for two decades before you even see an answer. When I was studying this, it really kind of convicted me because, you know, I mentioned this to you last time, but I feel like I've had a really rough five years. And I, and I feel like there's been moments where I've just been like, yeah, I think I'm good now. I think I'm just going to give up. I think it's time to give up on all this stuff, this God stuff. Because it's just not playing out the way I thought it would. The thing that I imagined in my mind hasn't taken place yet. In fact, the exact opposite has taken place. The Lord gave me a promise, and I thought it would be fulfilled in a couple years, but man, not only is it not being filled, but it feels like I'm being blown backwards and backwards. I'm not even holding ground. I'm losing ground. And you know, when you're 40 years old and you get a promise, it's okay when you're 45, but man, when you're 55 and you still haven't had a kid yet, you better believe you're feeling your lack pretty severely at that point. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt the severe sting of lack, like face to face with it? Like you can't get rid of it. You can't escape it. 
There's not another state you can move to to avoid what you're going through. There's not another group of friends that you can choose all of a sudden to avoid what you're going through. It's like, there's, you can only binge watch Netflix so many times. You can only avoid the reality and the complexity of your life so often. And then you just get tired. And then you just get tired of your tiredness. You get tired of your weariness. And you like, you don't even know what to do with your weariness anymore. And you say to the Lord, Lord, I don't even know how to believe you anymore. I believe this, guys. I believe this is... This is, this is an Isaac message for us specifically. I'm not preaching here a nice story about Isaac. I believe the Lord has an Isaac word for us today. And I'm going to get to the really good part of this message in a little bit. But I'm going to do, I'm going I'm to, you, you should come up here. You ready for this? You should, let's give Natalie Squires a hand. Now, let me tell you this little story. It, it's, it's, it's actually prophetic that we're doing this together. I feel like the Lord, there, there's like a sword of the spirit right now. And the Lord is coming after enemies in our lives. He is, he is actively pursuing and chasing out the enemies that have attacked us in this season of our life. And um, Natalie... Of, of, our, of our six kids, Natalie was always the kid that would follow Amy. Everywhere Amy went, Natalie was just right here hiding behind Amy's legs everywhere she went. Savannah was really good on the stage. She started singing with me at 13 years old. But one day, I was driving to work, and uh, I was going through my voice messages on my phone, and somehow, a, a sermon that Natalie had preached ended up on my phone as I was driving in the car. I'm listening to Natalie preach the pain off the walls. And I called Amy. I said, Amy, did you know that Natalie, Natalie could preach? And she had no idea. So I sent it to Amy and we were just like proud parents. We were, we were undone. So, um, so this is Natalie Squires. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, no, you need a mic. (laughs) Talk from your heart. What's that on? Here we go. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. A lot of just like what my dad was saying. I haven't heard anything that he was about to say today, but he had like read my message yesterday. And uh, I don't know. A lot of just what he was saying is what I was picking up from the story was that I was, I had kind of, when he had asked me, I was like, I, at one point, I thought he forgot, and I was, like, off the hook, like, I didn't have to come up here. And then I said something to my mom about it, and she was like, no, Dad still wants you to do it. And so, like, I just started reading the story over and over again, and I felt like what my dad was saying about, like, Abraham, there's so much drama in his story, and so many, like, miraculous things happen. And the same with Jacob, but, like, Isaac, it just seemed, like, boring. And I was like, Lord, like, I don't understand this. Like, nothing happens in this story. And... uh so I was just like, I had kind of given up. I had dinner with my sister and I had driven home and I had told her that I was going to tell dad that I had nothing to say. Like I was done. I was just like, I don't even know. There's nothing, nothing happens in this story. And the Lord just kind of opened my eyes to something that you don't necessarily read in the scriptures about Isaac. And he was, he began to speak to me about how Isaac was someone who faithfully surrendered his heart to the Lord for his whole entire life. And he just began to like again and again just say like Isaac is like us. Like he's so much like us in, a, in this place where maybe we didn't move to a foreign country like his father did. And maybe the Lord didn't promise him that he was going to have a son at 100 years old. Like all of these things that seemed unheard of, but the Lord fulfilled in Abraham's life. But the Lord, he knew Isaac's heart and he promised the same thing to Isaac that he promised to Abraham. He comes to him at one point and he says, like, through you, I'm going to make nations just like I said to your father. And I just had this, like, I don't know, just like this overwhelming sense of like how much Isaac knew the Lord's heart and how much Isaac knew that the Lord was good to him and how much Isaac knew that the Lord was faithful to him. 
And so um, just as I was reading through the story and I was reading both like all like um, Abraham and Isaac's story and I just kept here seeing the word Beersheba and it was a place. And if you go back to Abraham, he um, had a son named Ishmael, like, and all this like crazy stuff. But anyways, Sarah, Abraham's wife ends up saying, like, she becomes jealous of Hagar and her son Ishmael, Isaac's son. And she says, he's not going to be co-heirs with my son Isaac. And, um, Abraham gets like worried. He's like, I can't send her away. She's not going to have a home. She's not going to have a family. What about her son? What about my son? And the Lord says, it's okay. Send them away. And so he sends them away. And Hagar and Ishmael wander into the wilderness of Beersheba. And she lays her son down because they have nothing. And she says, I can't watch my son die. So she lays him down and she goes away. And the Lord comes to her and hears her cry and hears her son's cry. And, um, it says in the scripture, it says he opened her eyes to see a well of water. He didn't make a well of water, but he opened his her eyes to see that he was always there, that the well was always there, that he was going to be faithful to her, and he wasn't going to let her die or let her son die, that he was always going to be there. And I just like became overwhelmed with the love of the Father in that moment that he's so faithful, that your well is always there, and that he's not going to leave even if you can't see it, you know? And that happens, and Isaac is in Beersheba as well, and he digs a well, and so is Abraham at some point in their life. And it's just like a reminder that the Lord was faithful to Abraham and to Isaac and to Hagar in a moment where it seemed like nothing was going to happen. He opened their eyes to see that he was always there. And so, um, I don't know, I just like had just... I was just overwhelmed with like how much Isaac knew the Lord's heart and how much like my dad was saying that he knew he was this child of promise, but he knew that he was Abraham's child of promise, but he knew that he was God's child of promise too. He knew that the Lord wasn't going to leave him. He knew that the Lord was faithful to who he was and what he was going to do, you know? And so I just, um, I don't know. I think I have, I have something else written down that I know is really good. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I have like 30,000 pages. Um, yeah, I don't know. I had just heard this. I heard this quote that Oswald Chambers said that was, he said that the root of all evil is the doubt, is the suspicion that God isn't good. And, um, it just rocked me that Isaac knew in his heart without a suspicion that God was good. And he followed the Lord all the days of his life. Even if he didn't see crazy miracles, even if he didn't see these things, he had a promise from the Lord and he didn't have a doubt in his heart that God was like, wasn't good. He knew that God was good. And just throughout this past year, like I've had, I had this moment of just surrender to the Lord where he asked me to give up something that I like didn't I, I didn't know what to do without, and I ended up surrendering to the Lord, but saying, God, where are you? I, and I began, my friend asked me, she said, Natalie, what is the, what are the characters of God? And she had me speak them out loud. And as I was speaking them out loud, I said, God is kind. And in that moment, my heart had doubt in it. And so I knew I needed to ask the Lord, like, Lord, where are you kind in this? How are you kind in this? And so I really feel like the Lord is saying that to us today. Like, if you are declaring that God is good, but there is a doubt in your heart, no matter, like, if you believe it in your head, it's a difference between believing it in your head and believing it in your heart. Because I've grown up in church my whole entire life. I know in my head that God is good. I know in my head that God is kind. But it was a change between knowing it in my head and knowing it in my heart. And the Lord wants to take you to that place. You don't have to take yourself to that place. He wants you to come to him with the the, the idea of like, Lord, where are you in this? So in this moment of me literally feeling like I had nothing, feeling like I knew who God was, but I didn't, I began to cry out every day in full surrender to the Lord. And I began to say, Lord, I know you're good, but how are you kind in this? How are you kind in this? And all in one moment, the Holy Spirit came. This was after about two weeks. And 
Isaac waited 20 years for his promise, you know, but this was after two weeks and the Lord met me in a moment and he shifted something and it's nothing that I could put into words. But if you have a, if you have this doubt in your heart or in your mind that you don't believe that God is good, I just challenge you to like ask him to be persistent, to fully surrender everything that you have, but then to not just leave it at that one moment in this one day, like, Lord, I surrender. Okay. And then I'm going to just keep walking and do whatever I want to do. But the Lord wants you to be persistent and say, Lord, how are you good in this? How do I see your goodness? How do I know your goodness? And I'm sure Isaac, I know that Isaac had to do that over 20 years of crying out to the Lord for a promise. He had to be like, Lord, how are you good in this to be able to hold on to that promise of the Lord? So I don't know. I think that's all I have, but I just encourage you if there's like that, even that slight doubt in your mind, like the Lord wants to change it from you knowing these things in your head to you feeling it in your heart, the overwhelming sense that he loves you and you're never going to get away from his goodness and you're never going to get away from his kindness, no matter what your circumstances look like. So, Amen. Amen. Take it down there. Yeah. Give it to Robin. During worship, I was thinking, I had this thought, um, Andy, you've made an idol out of your sadness. And, and I think we, we, we live in an era or an age that highly values authenticity and I think in our pursuit of being authentic, we erect idols to our sorrow in, and our doubts. And the Lord wants to tear those things down with his goodness. I mean, that's really what the Spirit is drawing on us this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's, let's open up to uh, Genesis 26. I'm going to start at verse 1. You know, you're going to be like your dad or your mom. You know this, right? If you haven't figured this out, this is just kind of the way it works. Um, What's so funny about this story that we're going to read is, uh, remember when Abraham lies to King Abimelech that his wife is his sister? Isaac does the exact same thing. It's really crazy. It goes like this. Now there was a famine in the land besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all of these lands and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the, as the stars in the sky and I will give them all these lands and through you, your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Because he was afraid to say she is my wife, he thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca, because she is beautiful. Everywhere I go, people want to kill me because my wife's so beautiful. (laughs) I've been waiting for that one, honey. (laughs) All right. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people. Anyone who messes around with this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. 
He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. So there's a couple of things here. When you get blessed, people are going to be mad about it. In the physical People are going to be mad about it. In the spiritual, people are going to be mad about it. Somewhere, somebody is going to be mad when you start doing well. Okay? Just remember that as we read on. So, let's see. Uh, where am I? Uh, okay, verse 19. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 17. So Isaac moved away. No, I'm sorry. Verse 16, then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father, Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names that his father had given him. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Essek means dispute. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, which means spaciousness saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. From there, he went up to Beersheba, which is what Natalie was talking about. He goes back to the place, Beersheba. And this is where the Lord appeared to him. That night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you and I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. And Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And there he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. So, Let me just read this from my notes because I think this is really good. So a lot of times we, we think, so we see Isaac here and he's, he's reaping great harvest for himself and he's becoming rich. But the thing that we need to see in that is this. When you're blessed when the favor of God is working on your life, when you, when you are enjoying some type of um, satisfaction or fulfillment or some type of dream fulfilled, that does not make you immune from the difficulties and complexities of life. And knowing that is really helpful because when you find yourself confronted with the realities of life, you can know that this is just the way that life is. And it's not God removing his favor from your life. We see that Isaac was made rich and his enemies envied him, so they tried to stop him from being rich. And I feel like in our lives, we've, we've experienced seasons of prosperity. We've experienced seasons of favor. We've experienced outpourings of the Holy Spirit. We've seen signs. We've seen wonders. We've seen moves of God. I would equate those things to the favor of God. I, that, that's the stuff I want in my life. I want that goodness of God pouring out in my life. Is, is anybody with me on that? Is that what you're hungering for? But the thing is, you, you get that stuff and then you, you start to believe that that's going to stop all of the complex, complexities and issues of life, but it doesn't. And we hit those things and then we go, oh, God must not be good. God must not love me. He must have removed his favor and his blessing when really what it was was the enemy coming to stop what the Lord had given me for an inheritance. See, the thing that the the Lord did for you in the past, that thing that was real to you, that he put inside of you, that he made real, that you knew was real, somewhere along the line, you got talked out of it. But it's not that it stopped being real. It's just the enemy filled that well, that water with dirt 
and of doubt and sorrow and all of this gunk. And I mean, and, and he, and it's really interesting how it works too, because it's not like, it's not like our enemies come at us with obvious things. You know, some of it's so subtle. He's creeping in with unbelief and doubt and in, in all manners of deceptive ways. But I, I feel like what Natalie was saying is like the well was there. God opened Hagar's eyes, not to see a brand new well that he had just dug, but he, he opened her eyes to see a well that had always been bubbling up there. So in our life, there's wells that exist that we just have to have our eyes open and go drink from so that we can live. In the case of Isaac, God has given you a spiritual inheritance, but it's our part to redig those wells. It's our part to take back the thing that the Lord gave us. Some of us have these things from years ago, from our parents. And, and I'll say this, it's possible to see your well filled with dirt, filled with mud, filled with bad water, and to say it's not good anymore and to walk away with it. Walk away from it. But you have a spiritual inheritance that the Lord has sowed into your life from the moment you met Jesus. Actually, from before you met Jesus. I love what Randall was saying last um, last week, our story doesn't begin at the fall in the garden. Our story precedes that. We began in the heart of God before time. The only reason you exist at all is because God dreamed about you in his heart before he laid the foundations of the universe. Think about that for a second. So this whole thing about God interrupting our life and like we're just, we're just going along and he introduces the gospel of Jesus to us at some point and we start walking with Jesus. It's because God at some point made an, a spiritual investment into you. Not because he wants numbers in his church. Of course he wants numbers, but it's actually because he wants you. He invested something spiritual inside of you. And when we deny it, when we, when we say, ah, oh, must have not been God, or if we have a suspicion about the goodness of God working in our life, that's like just leaving all the dirt in the well. But we see from Isaac, he cherished his inheritance. He cherished the promise of God that was given to his father and then it was given to him. And he took those words and he decided to unclog all the wells and drink that fresh water again. It not only gave water to him and his family, but the whole region. See, the thing about the enemy is they clogged up those wells, but they had to stop drinking from them too. So when you unclog your spiritual wells, it's not just so you and your family can drink, it's so that the region can drink. Your region is, is counting on you to believe in the inheritance that God gave you. There's people in your vicinity that need you to unclog those wells and to drink from that water and to invite other people to that well to drink. It's not so that we can have nice church services. It's that people need Jesus. Man, I, I, I can't, I can't. Chris McMillan and I were talking this week just a couple of stories about some people that we know who have just like, it's not like they're, it's not even just that they're bored with church and they stop paying their tithe. It's like they're, they're, they're acting crazy like people that go over into like really bad, dark places for the sake of being authentic for the sake of living for themselves. The New Testament, I think Apostle Paul says that at, at some point, people become lovers of themselves. They become lovers of pleasure. They become lovers of money. Those are not wells that will satisfy us. Those are not wells that we want to drink from continually. I mean, the Lord has given us pleasure. I mean, he's given us good food to eat. He's given us the marital bed. He's given us... Uh, you know, flowers in the springtime. I don't know. Like, why does God make flowers? Because he likes us to enjoy life. Amen? But he's made us to live for more than just these temporal realities. 
There's an eternal kingdom. There's a place that we're going to, church. But we don't have to wait to die and go to heaven to start enjoying those realities. That's for us here and now. Are you all good? I don't know where to land this. I'm... Oh, Lord Jesus. Let's just pray. Let's just ask the Lord. You know, you can have a spiritual experience with, an, with, with a bunch of people all at the same time. Isn't that cool? Like, like a bunch of people, 150 people get into a room together and have a spiritual experience with the Lord together. Man, that's what I love about worship. I don't know, man. I think, honestly, I kind of make my living, I make my living doing worship. I make my living on the worship music industry. So I'm not trying to knock the worship music industry. But here's what I will say. I don't think the Lord wants to be held hostage by the worship music industry. I think that there's a reality in worship that the Lord wants to give back to the church that's greater than anything we've witnessed up to this point. I believe that in the book of Revelation, it talks about the throne of God and the sound of many waters that's going on around the throne. And I love that we sang that song, On Earth As It Is In Heaven, because that's what I'm dreaming of. I'm, I'm dreaming of worship on earth as it is in heaven. (laughs) Like where we're so engaged with the Holy Spirit in our worship services that the Lord is just, I don't know, undigging those clogged wells. (laughs) We might just have to believe again, church. We might just have to decide to believe God again. I've tried unbelief. I promise you I have. It doesn't work. It will ruin your life. Unbelief will ruin your life. Doubt your doubts. Believe God. I, I feel this is all very, very elementary. I get that. I, I get this is kind of like 101 version of Christianity. I apologize for that. But man, I just, I'm kind of stirred up. I, th- I feel, I've, I can sense the Lord inviting us into a new thing. Oh, I was going to pray, right? Yeah. Here's, here's what I want you to do. This, this just might seem stupid, but I don't even care. If you feel like you have some clogged up wells that you need unclogged, why don't you just stand with me? And it's okay if you don't stand. Let me just say that. This is, no, this is not a pressure tactic. You do not have to stand if you don't want to, and we're totally good with that. But just as a point of faith, if you just get the sense, well, I'll just be honest with you. I know I've got wells that are clogged up, and I want to taste that sweet water again. I do. I really want to taste that sweet water again because I know that's what the Lord has for me. And I know, you know, we're not that articulate around here and we're not, we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants most of the time. But one thing I know that we're pretty good at is we're pretty good at following the leading of the Lord. So I think this is the Lord leading us into this today. Jesus we submit ourselves to you right now. <clears throat> we submit to you the years that the locust has eaten. We submit to you any well, Lord, that's, that we know you've given us that has been clogged up like Isaac's wells had been clogged up by the enemy. And I'm so thankful, God, that you're interrupting us. You're interrupting our lives today. And you're bringing 
your breakthrough today to help us. Because Lord, for those of us who are in our 20s and 30s and 40s, we want to be 70 and 80 someday saying we love Jesus and we're following him all the way. And those of us who are in their 60s and 70s, we want to live to 100 and at the end of our day saying we love Jesus and we're following him the whole way. But Lord, we just thank you for these pit stops, Lord, where you come in and you bring a refreshing word, where you catch our attention again, Lord. You catch our attention again and you come through with your spirit wind and you dig out those those wells and all we have to do is agree with you, Lord. We just agree with you, Father, to have your way in our hearts. Have your way in our hearts and just let that living water flow again, Lord. Amen. I had a couple of, why don't you sit down just for another moment or two. Everything, Everything we have from God, we have by way of promise. Because the Bible tells us, I believe the Bible is the word of God. Let me just be blunt. Controversially. Yeah. I do, I do realize, too, that there's a dead letter aspect of the scripture, but the spirit gives life. But we, the Bible says, we have been given exceeding great and precious promises that through these, through what? These promises, we may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And Jesus said, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And Psalm 119 says, your word, O Lord, have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Your word is a light into my path. On and on. And so that word in Psalm 119 is not talking about Jesus. It's talking about the biblical text that gives us insight, concepts, ideas, principles that are what God has spoken to us so that we may understand and know. Okay? Yeah, and, and the wonder of, the, of knowing the Lord is this. He can't lie. Well, it doesn't matter if he lies or not if you don't know what he said. So what did he say? We believe there's a unique book in all creation called the Bible. Now, you can misunderstand the Bible and call that the Bible, but it's really not his word when you don't handle it accurately and and righteously. But I love this idea about Isaac. And I love this idea that Andy had to speak on Isaac. Because Andy is terminally happy. (laughs) Even though despair has crept in and is sneaking at his door. That's right. But there's, there's something God has given Andy that speaks of that Isaac uh, calling. You see, the wonderful thing about Isaac was this. When God, who cannot lie, gave a promise that we have recorded in his word, said to Abraham and to Sarah, you're going to have a son Sarah laughed in unbelief. And the Lord said, why did you laugh? Well, then she lied. She laughed and lied. And these are our spiritual forefathers. She said, I did not laugh. And the Lord said, oh, you did laugh. (laughs) And God can wait you out in an argument, trust me. So, So in unbelief, she laughs. Then the promise that came because Abraham hoped against hope. And Isaac is born. The child is born. 
And the Lord said, name him Laughter. And so here's what that says. Every time they call that child's name, they proclaimed a testimony against their own unbelief. They proclaimed a testimony against everything that told them this could not happen. Every time they said Isaac. Every time they called his name, it proclaimed the faithfulness of God. Andy, Andy and I have had this conversation. Uh, we wonder how can we get out of the ministry. And I said, Andy, you're not really in the ministry if you don't feel like you want to get out of it. <laughs> and I said, if you can sell cars or if you can... Uh, write books, or if you can be a scientist, go be one. But when God calls you, you're stuck, man. You are stuck. Listen, I have been miserable in and out of God, but being miserable out of God is much worse than being miserable in God. Now, what are you talking about? Well, the Bible says that until his word came to pass of Joseph, the word of the Lord tested him. And that's the problem with the promises of God. They're like grapes, but they're fulfilled like raisins. Man, those promises are juicy when you first get them. But day after week, after month, after year, well, praise the Lord, got it, got it, 1964, God said, God said, God said, hallelujah, I wonder what else I could do, God said, you got to eat those raisins, you got no choice, I remember the day the Lord said to me, uh, I want you to quit your job and go into ministry and quit telling people you're not in ministry because it's my fault, it's your fault. And if you don't come now, I won't talk to you about it anymore. And so Donna and I leapt into a non-existent ministry, broke as broke could be, thought we were going to lose our house, didn't lose our house. Thought we were going to lose everything, didn't lose everything. People couldn't understand why we didn't lose everything. I couldn't understand why we didn't lose everything. But God kept us. We, we developed certain concepts, one of them couch money. You've never been broke unless you've gone in the cushions of your couch to see if there's any rich people sat down there and dropped some quarters. But God's good. But he will, he will test you. It's the trying, here's what the Bible says, the trying of our faith is more precious than gold because there are things your faith will give you that money could never purchase. There are crazy people who are rich and still crazy because they don't have the faith developed and the knowledge of God, which contradicts all the lies that emerge out of the human heart and we're flooded with all the time. It's the trying of your faith. I see all my kids going through trials of the faith. Thank God. They need to know for themselves. All the people I've ever known that I've really cared about have gone through things. you got no choice. The choice is how you go through them. The choice is if you dig deep enough. The choice is if you, you, you determine no matter what your feelings are that you honor God, you honor His Word, you land. What, is, what do you believe about so-and-so? I believe whatever Jesus said about it, even if I don't like what He said about it. 
Because I know he's smarter than I am. But there's a place where you honor God. In the face of contradiction, you honor God. And you tell the truth. I like that what Andy said. Authenticity doesn't mean you, you um, reaffirm all your negativity. Because the reality of being truly authentic is you break free of those negative things that have affected you into a place where the power and strength of God touches your life because truth is always attended by grace or it's not really truth. So when you're really authentic and you're really honest and you're really telling the truth, there's a place where God will come in and transform. Does that make sense? So you did a great job. Invite Stephen up. Ministry team. Yes. We have ministry teams every week, and um, people are getting healed, and people are receiving prophetic input and encouragement. And so, if you are in the category of needing any of that, if you will come forward, our ministry teams will come. We'd be glad to to minister to you, pray for you. Amen. Amen. Everybody's good. Trust me. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face, his manifest presence to shine upon you and give you peace. That's the way Moses released the presence of God on the people of Israel. God bless you folks. Let's give it up for Andy one more time and go home.